0: Uh, Parashat Balak. Um, This parsha is really uh, remarkable in that nothing that happens in this parsha makes sense to me. The way I was taught and the way I understand what the Jews are doing in this world, nothing fits in. I don't understand why there has to be a prophet named Bilam, who is a non-Jew and who seems to think that he can trick God which didn't ever occur to me as being a quality of prophecy. The prophecy always seemed to be someone who was in keeping with God's desire not somebody who is going to act against God. And not only that, in the story in, of Bilal, the, the way to overcome the heat is to say in your head, you have to just say, it's cool. Mm-hmm. And then it, that's, everything is fine. That's the, that's the trick. You have to remember that 30 years ago, nobody had air conditioning. And they didn't do so badly. You know, do even though I could tell you a story, when we came to Israel, there was a time when I was... A candidate, a candidate to become the rabbi in tira Tirat Tirat the kibbutz Tirat Svi, is one of. The, so I was, a, I was a candidate to become the rabbi in Tirat um, as, as in many events in my life, my wife disabused me of this. I was going to do it because it seemed reasonable to me. Right, Tirat Svi is located in a place which, in those days, you could never get to. You had to plan for two days to get to, to the Tirat What? Great napnik. Great nacht-nacht, yes, and they have also fish ponds, which you, probably interested you more than the napnik. <laughs> so, so uh, it was very hot, very hot Tirat In fact, it's it's one of the hottest places in the Near East besides Doha where 50 degrees is very likely, but over 40 degrees was very common in Tirat-Zvi. tirat in the old, in the Beit Shan, where tirat is located, was in the olden times, a winter resort. You know, people used to go there in the winter, because it was warmer, and they always to run away in the summer, until the Jews came along, and they said, we're staying, no matter what. So I come to tirat and I ask the old guys there, how'd you do it? How, how'd you work here? How'd you live here? This place is so hot. So they said they all said the same thing. You get used to it. Uh, there's a little breeze under a tree in the middle of the, of the quad here, and you can take a shower and you this, and what we did when they told me they used to get up to work at one o'clock in the morning. they used to start working until seven and then they'd go to Darwin. And that was the end of the day. So then, <coughs> we came to see they're ready, we're putting in air conditioning in the tractors. So you ask the tractor guy, say, how, how, how did they do it in the old days? This the young guy, those are the old guys, who said, ah, oh, we, we figured out how to do it. The young guys said, they never made a penny, they couldn't work, it was impossible to do anything. It's the air conditioning that saved us. You know, we became uh, an enterprise, and that's why I think they went into meat, because when you the meat is all in a it's a refrigerator. The whole place, the whole place is a refrigerator. Everybody wanted to work in the in the, uh, in the at any event. Uh, so that's what you do. You just think that you're in a refrigerator, and everything is just fine. So Bilam, Bilam, was a remarkable is a remarkable story. None of which makes much sense. I mean, why would Hakadosh Baruch Hu want to send an agent who is uh, actually opposed to divine authority to bless the people of Israel and then to record it in the Torah? I mean, why? How could that make any sense? How could that make any sense at all? And, and so I don't want to get into all the all the different pieces. I just want to remind you, I want to remind you that Bilam accepted the challenge that Balak uh, placed upon his shoulders. And he said, okay, I'm gonna do it. At first Hashem said to him, don't go. And then Hashem said to him, do go, you can go. And this is a problem with understanding, you know, even, uh, you know, in an unsophisticated way. I mean, what was it that God was doing? Why would he say no and then say yes? Because Bilab beseeched him. So, you know, there's a famous Ibn Ezra that uh, sometimes God tells you what the right thing is. But then, if you exhibit or your, your free will action against that, then God allows you to go in the way that you choose and to uh, naturally accept the consequences. So that's a famous, it's a famous Ibn Ezra. It says something about the situation in the world, right? People who don't, who know what the right thing to do is, choose to do the wrong thing because they they think it's a, a shortcut. You know, like, you know you're not supposed to steal. But stealing is very attractive because... It's a shortcut to other things, to to making a lot of money. You don't have to work. So, so that's how people are. I want to just remind you that in the um, in in the story of Bilam, he tried. He he actually did it three times. He he spoke to Am Yisrael three times. He spoke entirely four different times. Bilam the prophet four different times. The first two times he spoke, that was the attempt to curse B'nai Yisrael, which was unsuccessful, the first two times. The third time, he already blessed B'nai Yisrael, and the fourth time, he acted very much like a prophet, the prophet that we know, or the prophets that we know about, and prophesied about the nations not just about Am Yisrael but about the nation so we say it again the first two times Bilam was trying to do what Balak asked of him to uh, to curse the Jews and he was not successful as we also know the third time the third time we would say that Bilam blessed the Jews and the fourth time Bilam was prophesied for the nations it's as though it's as though the fourth time was a proof that he did not lose his power or his position as a prophet I mean here is a man who acted who was a prophet but he acted against God right he acted against God and he said uh, um, whatever he said and he remained a prophet he, because the fourth time that Bilam speaks to the world, he's prophesying for the nations, and that's not—he's not lying. And the third time he blessed the people of Israel. Now we know that there is a notion in the halakha of a navi sheker, a navi sheker. Right? I, I will tell you that there are just two prophets that you have to remember. One is Eliyahu Hanavi. One is Eliyahu Hanavi, who sacrificed on Har HaKarmel after the Beit HaMikdash was built. And that's Asur Midoraita. It was forbidden to give korbanot outside of the Beit HaMikdash once the Beit HaMikdash is built. So Eliyahu Hanavi did it in order to show up Neviyeh Haba'al at that time. So Neviyeh Haba'al made a, made a mizbeach and sacrificed sacrifices, and Eliyahu made a mizbeach and sacrificed sacrifices, and the fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice of Eliyahu and Nevi, proving whatever it proved. I mean, it didn't change much in the, in, in Am Yisrael, it didn't change much in the problem that they had with dealing with Amor Zorah at that time. But Eliyahu Anavi was vindicated and the halachic vindication is called horaat Sha'ah. In other words, because Eliyahu Navi said, I'm doing it now only for a specific purpose and only for this time, and I don't mean that you should imply that you should imply that there's a change in the halacha. That's called horaat Sha'ah. You could sometimes do something for a specific purpose if you are confident, or you make it clear that you're not changing the halacha. That this is something that happens only uh, on, a, on a particular on a particular occasion. Or at the Gemara and Sanhedrin base, if I remember correctly. There's another, so Eliyahu Navi is vindicated even though he did something against the Torah. Now, Hananiah ben Azur, you know that name? Hananiah ben Azur was a Navi Sheker. He was a lying prophet. What did he lie about? Yirmiyahu Navi told the Jews that they would go into exile for 50 years and Hananiah ben Azur said, no, no, two years, don't worry about it. You know, it'll, it'll be it'll come and it'll be gone before you notice. So Hananiah ben Azur, Hananiah ben Azor is called a Nevi Sheker. He's called a Navi Sheker. Now it's important to remember that a Nevi Sheker, it, it's not like, it's not that Hananiah ben Azur came and said something crazy. Like Nehemiah, who was certainly a prophet, Said one thing, and Chananya Ben Azor said something else. But Chananya Ben Azor was a prophet. He was a real prophet who rejected prophecy, and because he rejected prophecy, he started telling lies. He started talking uh, about things that God said that God had not said to him. So he's called a navi sheker. The navi sheker is not a person of lies, right? A navi sheker is a navi that adopted sheker. I mean, I hope the difference is, is clear. I mean, anybody can lie. Anybody can say something crazy. Anybody can, can uh, 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 d- disagree with the and Navi. And they did. They, uh, the people at in his time, they all, they all found him to be uh, an alarmist and couldn't understand what he was so excited about and worried about, uh, which, and what he was worried about led to the destruction of the temple. Right, Beit Rishon was destroyed at the time of Yirmiyahu Navi, but they they didn't understand that. But Chananya ben Azur, the reason that he's called the the is because he was a Navi first, and then he became uh, enamored with the Sheker. He wanted to, to people. He wanted, he wanted people to appreciate him, to like him, to like what he was saying. So he said things that, that made more sense. He didn't contradict Yemiyawa 100%, but he contradicted him 95%. And that 95% was enough. That was enough of a contradiction to make him into a, a Nebisheker. But the reason I'm telling you this is because Bil'am did not become an Ebi Shekhar, and there's whole story, right? There's, there's, there's speech number one and speech number two and speech number three where he was forced to compliment Bnei Yisrael and then comes along with speech number four and speech number four is very much very much typical of prophecy because Yishayahu and Yechezkel and Yiriyahu, I think also Spoke about the nations. I mean, in other words, there was always for Am Yisrael, there was always, and I don't mean to be rabbinic in this uh, juncture here, but there was always this problem with the the non-Jews to the north and the non-Jews to the south, and the north included the east, and the south included the Sinai, and this was always a problem. It was always a problem, and therefore the prophets of Israel. Were always uh, uh, speaking out about the nations that existed in the in the area, right? Bavel and Ammon and Moab and Mitzrayim and and All of these nations were subjects of uh, of the of the prophet. The prophet talked about those things. So it seems to me that what the parashah says up to this point. Is that somehow Bilam retained his uh, status? You know, he starts the story as a navi, even though he kind of tries to fight against divine power and divine will. But he ends the story also as a navi, even though he was not able to satisfy Balak by making uh, uh, by making the by finding a way to get heaven to oppose the Jewish people, which was the, the whole idea of uh, of Balak, he wanted he wanted somebody who could intercede on his behalf with heaven in order to ensure that that uh, that B'nai Yisrael would not be able would not be able to uh, to judge. So that's the the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing is I wanted to look at. This, uh, these psukim, which are part of the third speech that Bilam makes, right? The third speech. The first two speeches are, tries to curse, but it doesn't work out. He can't actually curse Bnei Israel. The third speech is the bracha, the speech of the bracha. So what is the bracha? Uh, sorry, you see it's the second, second source on the sheep this is a, a phrase that represents heightened awareness even, I mean Bilam seems like he was a prophet right? prophecy is a state of being that is not common but that could be described right? That's, uh, they are called, it's like the description of Shmuel Shmuel had a school for prophecy and so uh, the, the Rambam. The Rambam says in Hilchot Yisod torah uh, Per exile The Rambam says that anybody can prepare himself for prophecy. It doesn't mean that you will be a prophet, but you will be an exceptional person. You know, if you study a lot of Torah and you have good mitzvot and you and you watch your health and uh, you do what you do what it is that good people are supposed to do, so you could get to the point where you're a candidate for prophecy i mean you're not a prophet unless god bestows upon you that's what the rambam thought god is to bestow upon you uh, prophecy but those people who are preparing to become prophets according to the rambam are called b'nai hanaviim. right they are the acolytes the prophetic acolytes they're studying to be that way Right which which makes which makes uh, it makes sense. So means that there was some kind of spiritual awakening in him. And he looks upon Yisrael and Yisrael is Shochhein Lishvatav, Shvatav tribes. We know from the beginning of the of the book of Bamidbar that they camped according to tribes. That the camp in the desert, right, there were three tribes on each side, altogether 12 tribes, the Kohanim and the Leviim were someplace in the middle, near the old Moed. So there was some kind of a combination between Vayisa uh, Medinav, first, and then Vayar et Yisrael, that's also something that induced the prophecy, but the prophecy only came in the third part of the pasuk. But the Yelam Ruach is like an unknown force. So we don't know how to explain it. But we know what it means. It means that he underwent a change. He became a prophet that was prophecy, unlike Moshe Rabbeinu, who was always ready for prophecy. Right, according to the Chazal, I right, didn't have to do anything in particular to receive prophecy uh, Bilam was not like that Bilam had to work at it he had to work himself up into the state of of prophecy but uh, the Rashi says enough so Rashi doesn't understand why the Torah has to tell us again to say things about Bilam to say things that almost sound like nice things in other words, he had this capacity. had this capacity to evoke a spiritual moment. He Bilam. I mean, we don't want to say that. We want to say that Bill was a bad guy. We want to say, like, it sounds like something. So Rashi, in the Rashi way of doing things, I quoted Kazal but it's the Rashi way. So he says That was not Bill Am going through a spiritualizing process, but it was rather Bill Am giving them the heebie jeebies, you know, like he looked at them. You know, there are people who could do that. They're not prophets, but they are people who look at you and make you nervous, right? There are people. Everybody has met people like that. So this is what he said. Right? I mean, I don't know what Rashi thought Ayin Ra'ah is, but I know that ein Ra'ah is a, like an idea that has lived with the Jewish people for the last thousand years at, at, at least, right? There's such a thing as an ein Ra'ah and you want to stay away from it, right, somehow. Like, where is it exactly? Basically, he says, the yesh shalosh midotav ein Ra'ah v'ruach the v'nefesh re'chavah Murim Limala. Okay, I'd I, not. Uh, we didn't print that Rashi, but let's let's go on to the next part. Shochen l'shvatav. Right, they they are dwelling according to their tribes. Ra'akol Shavit He sees that each tribe has its own place, and they're not mixed together. The tribes are not mixed together. E'inan and he saw that the openings of the tents, I mean, everybody's living in a tent, so every tent has an opening. You know, you get in and you get out. So he said, The doors, the openings of these tents do not face each other. In order to prevent each family from looking into the tent of some other family in other words they were very concerned and wary of lashon hara the last part of the pasuk is so rashi says this is real This it's not that he's going to say something that he doesn't want to say He's going to say something that he does want to say. So again, Rashi explains the three part of the, the three parts of the pasuk as follows. First, he wanted to give them the ayin hara. I guess thinking that even if God wouldn't grant him prophecy, ayin hara he could do. It's like he zapped him with a with a zapper of some kind. And then uh, he saw that they were the Shvatav. He says they were, they, they were living, a, a living, ethical community. And he knew that the ayin hara wouldn't work. It wouldn't work in that kind of community. And then the third part of the pasuk is, And he decided that he would, he would uh, uh, speak positively about them. Allah belibo, shelo yikaleleim. Shelo Okay, the next pasuk is uh, This is how it starts, right? The word mashal The word mashal has an interesting history in, uh, in the history of words, right? A mashal A mashal became a word I mean, I don't know exactly what it means in the Tanakh You know, like it's very hard to know sometimes What words mean But we know that in the, uh, when the Rambam says mashal and other Rishonim say Mashal. They refer, they refer to a code. Uh, like Shira Shirim. We say Shira Shirim is a Mashal. W- what does that mean? It, it means that it looks like it's talking about the love between a man and a woman, but it's really talking about the love between God and Bnei Yisrael. And that's called a Mashal. The Rambam uses two words, actually. Mashal umelitza. He uses those those two words, uh, and both of them can be understood as being a, a code. The thing is, when something is a mashal, when something is a mashal, the coded meaning is the only meaning. That's what a mashal means. It's like it's like S O S. You know, da 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 da. So that da, da 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 doesn't mean anything. It only means S O S. Is that uh, clear or unclear? So. If what Rabbi Akiva said, Rabbi Akiva said if all the Torah is Kodesh and Shir Hashim is Kodesh Kedashim, so what he meant was, every, every, uh, uh, every pasuk in the Torah has a pshat, and has a sod, right? There are different levels of interpretation, but Shir Hashim doesn't have a pshat. There's no, there's no pshat because the pshat is meaningless. Actually, in terms of this interpretive uh, concept, the pshat is meaningless. Only, only the decoded message is meaningful. That it's about God and and and, and Bnei Yisrael. So, if it's about God and Bnei Yisrael, so that's called a mashal. But here, Bilam, all the things that Bilam said are called a mashal. And uh, maybe, maybe that's because uh, Bilam didn't really say what he wanted to say. But right, he was saying something else. So it's sort of like he was providing a, a code for him his own message. Right, Instead of saying A, he said B. Right, So that's called, in the Torah, that's called a mashal. And then it says, There's something wrong. He doesn't see. He doesn't see so well. Just look at the beginning of Rashi. A no. Nikura umotsat lachuts vechos a la nir epatua. Vilashon Mishnahu Kideshi Yistom Vyistom Vyigov. Raboteinu Amru, this is what we are just in. <speaking> in the Fisha Amar Umisap Umisparad <world> Rova Yisrael Shakurishbochi Yod Shaiv Umone Rivi Yo Shall Israel Matai Tavo Tipa Shenolad Hatzadik Mimenu? A marble bow. Miju Kadosh, Umishatab Kidoshim, Istakelbe de Vre, Adet Vre Malalo, Valdavarze, Nismat, a Nismat, a no shall be Shim Setuma, I am Petu. So that means, I mean, uh, we we don't have time, but you could see that according to Rashi, the words ayim, take me to someplace else they're not about now they're not about what Bilam is doing they're about whether he saw things properly or improperly in the past right so he's called he's called ayim, but it's not part of the part of the story so let's go back to uh, Pasuk Dalet this is about Bilam that he is that Right, machazek, chizayon, he sees things, yechezeh, nofer v'geluyeinayim, nofer v'geluyeinayim. So Rashi has trouble with all of these words, and I'm going to skip them for now, so I want to get to the next pasuk. And this is what he said, ma tovo o ha-lecha yaakov mishkinotecha Yisrael. That's what he said, right, mishkinoteva, ma tovo o ha see the Rashi? that's like in other words he saw it and then he said it he saw it and then he said it the way you you camp the way you place yourself just like Shiloh and Beit HaMikdash, Beit Olam means Beit HaMikdash, And that's what we say, the Korban Tamid, the Korbanot, the two Korbanot Tamid that were given every day, were given to be, to Lechafer Al Bnei Yisrael for the last 12 hours. Right. The, besides all the other kinds of kapara that existed, this was also a kind of a kapara. Avkeshem charefim, the sheim uh, mishkon, I'm sorry, Techa Yisrael. Rashi says, Avkeshem charefim, even after the destruction of the Temple. Next week is Shivos uh, of the I remind you. the sheim mishkon alehem. Mishkon alehem v'chorbanan kapara ala nefashot that that's what what uh, what he saw he saw that the destruction of the temple is kapara it's atonement v'chorbanan kapara ala nefashot and the destruction of the temple is atonement for the soul shenemar kala hashem et chamato kala hashem et chamato uvamek hilah Kilah by Yatzed that somehow uh, I mean this is Bilam this is Bilam talking but it's something worth remembering that according to what Bilam saw what Bilam thought the beta ha- the destruction of the beta Mikdash was atonement so that according to Rashi according to Rashi he saw that the uh, that Bnei Yisrael achieved a superior ethical position in the desert and he also saw that the that the Mishkan that the temple that B'nai Yisrael would build would be a constant atonement for the sins that they would sin so that not only were B'nai Yisrael now uh, uh, ethically superior but they had this Protection from heaven. Ultimately, that they would always be, uh, always be superior. They would always have this ethical note, and even if the Beit Hamikdash is destroyed, that destruction, that destruction will be a kapara, will be an atonement on B'nai Israel or for B'nai Israel. And that's the position. That's the position that uh, uh, that Rashi, that Rashi adopts in explaining. Uh, Explaining, uh, but it's not exactly a mashal because it has meaning for its I, I didn't say that in the Torah, I said in the Torah, the word mashal must mean something else. I say, okay. well, I don't know what the word mashal means, but later it, it developed into a word for code. Oh, it developed into a word for code. So I have two things left this is the Ramban and uh, and the Kutia lochos, I think we'll we'll try Likutei Halachos because I don't think we have too much time. Likutei Halachos, you know, it's a very big work written by Rav Noson of Nemirov, who is a Talmud of Rav Nachman of Braslov, right, and uh, it's really quite an amazing, it's quite an amazing work, it tries to connect, it tries to connect halachic material with uh, uh, philosophical positions of Rav Nachman. That's what it purports to do. But it does more than that. It even, it even creates halakha categories that the uh, Shulchan Aruch didn't have. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite, a remarkable, quite a remarkable work. And it's published uh, in ten volumes by the Braslova guys. I mean, there are no pictures. It's just like words. So it's uh, quite something. So here it's... No no songs even? No what? No songs even? You could get a disc with it and play music, brassula music while you're perusing the svarabh. You don't have to even go to a store, you can get it on the street corner. Yeah, that's right. Except when when the Prime Minister of India is in town, (laughs) you're better off if you have it at home. (laughs) (laughs) The street seems to be under foreign control. So in any event, that's why the title is Likutei Halachot. That's the name of the book. Choshen Mishpat, right? That part of of the Shulchan Aruch that is about uh, personal damages and uh, torts and things of that kind. And then he says, it's in the subdivision called Nizkei Shchenim, doing damage to your neighbor, right? There are laws of damaging your neighbors. Simon hey, Gimel, I it's hard to understand how he can get from Nisgeshaneim to Bilam and Balak, but he's going he does it somehow. So this is what he says. Now he sees this as being a pivotal puzzle. This puzzle, which is at the top of the sheet. That's our Possock, right? The Possock that we just learned. That's end quote of Rashi. This is also Rashi. And Bilam wanted to do this. So this is how he starts off. Shalom. Ki Bilam Oh, he says, "Who is Bilam? Who is Bilam? Bilam stands against the fixing of Tfila, the holy prayer." Now, what is it that he is talking about? He's talking about the fact that before the korban, before the korban, according to the Rambam. Everybody davened by himself. There was no Shmona Esret. There was no fixed prayer that we could just you know, take off the shelf, go to shul, take off the shelf and daven. But everybody was able and in fact did uh, 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 daven on his own. Say his own words, make up his own words. And he, Bilam was that, that the Jews had this ability to daven. And that's called Tefillah de And Bilam was against that. Now, how does he know that? That's the pasuk at the top of the page. Right at the beginning of the parish of Bilam. It says, It says, Right, what did they say to each other? So Rashi says, El zikne Midyan. You see the Rashi? What's <laughs> more? How did Moab and Midyan get together? They hated each other. And this is uh, reported in the Apostle in bereshit Habaket Midyan. Moab the Midianites came against the Moabites to fight, against, to fight in war but because they were afraid this is Rashi because they were afraid they were more afraid of B'nai Yisrael than they were afraid of each other so they made peace for the, for the time so that's okay so now they're at peace but how come the Moabites, who were bigger, went to ask uh, advice from, uh, from Midian? Since they saw B'nai Yisrael were winning in their wars, right, against Sikhon, against oak uh, against Amalek, that it was very uncommon that a ragtag bunch of uh, freed slaves would be able to fight in battles and, and win. The leader of this ragtag group of Jews, Moshe Rabbeinu, he after all grew up in Midian. So we'll go and ask the Midianites what manner of man is this? Because they must know since Moshe grew up uh, in, in Midian, right? Uh, this Abnusah loves this. Meaning, well, it I, I mean, he's just, he's a Jew. He <laughs> can talk. He talks. it his, his, fundamentally his power is comes from his uh, uh, his mouth, and so Amru, that's how they decided to hire Bilam, because Bilam's power was speech, because he was a prophet, and Moshe's. Power was also speech, because he Moshe was a prophet. So now if we go back to uh, let's go back to Rav Noson. Amru Enkoho and the third line, av anu befem. That's Rashi. Up to now it's all Rashi, right? All of Rav Noson is Rashi. Giraah Shatzvachat Yisrael rak al yedei tefila. They understood that the success of Bnei Yisrael was through tefillah. Shekolti al yedei emet that fixing davening is connected to the truth. Bilam that Bilam's power was to create falsehood with his mouth he would always look for the bad in people in order to find a blemish and a lacking and he would then use his mouth his unclean mouth, Lira'ah. I would say, in a more modern lingo, that, that you have a choice. When you look at a situation or you look at a person, right? Every person is complex. Right? There are many aspects to that person. So if you are intent on discovering what is wrong, what is bad, what is unpleasant? What is unlikely? What is ungodly? You'll find it. That was Bilam. Bilam denied the truth of the possibility of goodness in the world, and that's ein ra according to Rav Nosson. Ein ra means you use your eye to discern ra to find the bad. Right? Everybody knows. That, uh, that you have a choice. You always have a choice whether to emphasize goodness or to kind of be overwhelmed by what seems to you to be something bad. And then he goes on, he goes on and he says, uh, So by looking at the bad of things, he, he had the strength to, to curse in in other words, Rav Nelson is trying to explain how this could happen. Like, where is the flaw in the system that could allow Bilam to actually exist? Why didn't like Bilam just implode and disappear? And the answer is that Bilam had a skewed idea of what the truth is. For Bilam, the truth was. Getting together all the bad things that you can imagine about another person or another people and speaking only about them. Now, there is a certain kind of truth to that, but it's ayin ra'a. It's something that is not going to provide us with a, a positive result. Shahia mistakel tamid ba'ayin kolechad limtso bo mum. I'm in the to for the fifth line, And that produces in him the strength to curse and to do damage. In in other words, somehow Bilam fits into the system because prophecy also demands an attitude. And Bilam had the wrong attitude. And the attitude that he had, which was wrong, was ayin ra'ah. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't do that. That it, it was not a possibility within the world that we, that we know about. So he says, When he saw that the doors of the tents were not facing each other, zekere we know that's Rashi, right? He's quoting Rashi without saying that he's quoting Rashi. Everybody knows that Ikar, the main, uh, the way that Sitra Akra grabs onto you and makes you Ra, right? You know, I mean, the people, religious people, have not been able to stop talking about Ra. They just don't know where it comes from and why it's so exciting. So that's called sitra Akra, the other side. Shehu machloket the sitra achra. Vehumi machloket shebein Yisrael baatzmaam So he says this kind of machloket about what you see and what it is you look. That's called machloket, right? That's a machloket. Perky Avot said. Shelo L'Shem Shamayim The Machloket L'Shem Shamayim Is the Machloket of Hillel and Shamayim, right? That's Machloket Lashem L'Shem Shamayim The Machloket L'Shem Shamayim is so good That even after they wrote the Shulchan Aruch People went back to the Gemara to find the Machloket Because the Machloket is its own truth Right? The Machloket is its own truth As Rab Nachman says Not here but someplace else so this is almost a lesson to be learned. That what is the machloket that we have sometimes with our own families, our own brothers and sisters, with our own, uh, with our own people. What is the machloket about? It's about ayin hara'ah. It's about not seeing the total picture. It's about something that is very annoying to me. Something. There's something. I can't let go of it. That's called a machloket, and that's what Bilam was doing in the Torah. Bilam was teaching us, was teaching us that in order to be a nation, we have to be able to deal with machloket. In order to be a people that has a, a, a more significant definition, I think that, that you could say that the Jews have managed to do that because they're still around albeit it's been a tough ride. I mean, I don't, you know, nobody thinks it was so easy for the last 2,000 years, but we're still there, and we still have generally uh, uh, commitments to what being Jewish, what being Jewish or living in the, in the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish world means. And that's what Bilam that's what Bilam came to tell us, that the ayin ra'ah, which everybody has, everybody has this capacity to be annoyed you know like there are very few people who never get annoyed Uh, i don't know if there are any people like that but uh, certainly only very few if there are so he says so in other words this is what could happen what could happen is that in Am Yisrael, amongst the Jewish people, they can't get along with each other. They can't maintain the u- uniformity of of uh, design and, and and opportunity because they tend to emphasize the wrong things. So this is what B'nai Yisrael were learning from Bil'am. Right, we're learning from Bil'am first that Bilam was looking for a way of cursing B'nei Yisrael, he would have found it. He would have been able to actually do it. It wasn't that HaKadosh Baruch put words into the mouth of a silent prophet. Bilam knew that he could do it. It's just that HaKadosh Baruch stopped him. And why did Hesedal HaKadosh stop him, according to this analysis in Rashi? Because their tents were not facing each other. Because that particular fact, that particular fact was a contradiction to the Ayin Ra'an, and was a way to ensure the unity of B'nai Yisrael. So spoken in another way, what did Bilam want to do? He wanted to look at B'nai Yisrael and say, there's no future here. They're not going to, they, they won't have a future. I mean, after all, he didn't think that he would curse Bedei so they'd all drop dead on the spot. And besides which, Billam had a much better idea. You know, at the end of the parasha, Billam is the one who suggested that they send these, uh, the young girls and, uh, you know, who would, uh, who would prostitute themselves and then convince the Jews to, uh, to adopt idolatry, which actually worked. I mean, it happened. But Billam was in for much higher stakes. He was not originally interested in making sure Bnei Yisrael would transgress, because they'd already transgressed, right? There's the Chait HaEgel, and the Chait of the Meraglim, and they're still around. They're still around, albeit maybe weakened, but they're still there. They're still there, so... Bilam wanted to find a way to eradicate them. Something that Amalek tried but was unable to do. And, and what was his way according to Rav Nosen? His way was Ayin Ra'ah. That if you redefine Am Yisrael in terms of Ra'ah, you only see the things that they did that were bad. Then you will uh, create Machloket, and the Machloket will ensure that there won't be a future for Am Yisrael. This, according to Rashi, according to where Avnosson understands it, this was prevented, this was prevented by uh, the fact that Bilam saw that, they could, that he could not create Machloket. Even the Ayin Harah, because of the way the tents were, were set up, and the people refused to look into each other's homes and they didn't want to say they didn't want to be involved or caught up with Lashon Hara so Bilam realized that he couldn't do it that his plan would not be that his plan would not be effective and therefore therefore he could say that's why the parish is written in the Torah even though with certain skepticism the Gemara says Baba Basra it says Moshe Rabbeinu Katav Parashat Bilav. You imagine that? It's like, like somebody asked a question, somebody in the yeshiva said, what's, what's this parasha doing here? I mean, it can't be that Moshe Rabbeinah wrote this. I mean, it's anti-prophecy. It's anti-God. It's anti, anti-everything. So the Gavari says, no, no, Moshe Rabbeinah wrote it. It's part of the Torah. There's no doubt about that. So Rav says, it's the most important thing in the Torah because it's the way... That we protect ourselves forever. You know, we we will continue to exist. How we continue to exist by avoiding machloket. What is machloket about? Machloket is always about something that can't be reduced to something very very small. It's like much bigger than it really should be. That's a machloket shalol sheim shamayim, and that's what Rav Natan is talking about. Okay. Have a good shabbos.